Section 8 of Life of Sir Walter Raleigh by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5 The Spanish Armada. The time had now come when Philip II determined to make an open attack upon England. In 1587, Elizabeth had at last been persuaded to consent to the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots since her flight from scotland in fifteen sixty eight mary had been kept in prison in england for nineteen years altogether and she had been a centre round which discontent could always gather plots had been formed with the object of restoring her to liberty making her queen of england and bringing back the catholic religion philip the second had often threatened to interfere on her behalf by the execution of mary elizabeth removed the object of endless intrigues at home and abroad henceforth the real question of the day was clearly set before the minds of all englishmen but mary's execution hurried on the plans of philip the second so long as mary lived philip could only interfere in mary's behalf now that she was dead he could go forth to conquer england in his own name hitherto he had hoped to reduce the netherlands first and thence proceed to re-establish catholicism in england but he found england in the way of his plans english help had encouraged the huguenots to carry on their resistance in france english gold had helped philip's revolted subjects in the netherlands english seamen had again and again robbed him of his treasure philip determined to alter his plans england was the key to the protestant resistance in europe England must be entirely crushed before he could succeed in striking a death-blow to Protestantism. To Englishmen, the problem was made simple by the attitude of Philip. English Catholics or other malcontents were willing enough to fight for Mary, Queen of Scots, but they would fight for Elizabeth rather than see their country crushed by Philip. Philip's preparations were delayed by the reckless daring of Drake, who in 1587 led a fleet of twenty-five sail into the harbour of Cadiz, with the view of singeing King Philip's beard, as he said. There he found sundry great ships laden with provisions for the projected invasion of England. He sank some thirty-four ships, and carried away four more with him, and did other damage on the coasts of Spain and Portugal. So Philip's preparations were delayed, and though he set to work with new vigour to fit out a mighty fleet which should once for all crush these impudent islanders it could not be got ready before june fifteen eighty eight this fleet the most fortunate and invincible armada consisted of one hundred and thirty two ships manned by eight thousand seven hundred and sixty six sailors and two thousand eighty eight galley slaves and carrying twenty one thousand eight hundred and fifty five soldiers alexander prince of parma who was now spanish commander in the netherlands and the greatest general of the age was to join the fleet in the channel with seventeen thousand spanish troops from the netherlands so that there might be an army of fifty thousand men for the invasion of england meanwhile elizabeth could not believe in the danger which was threatening her it seems as if both she and burley had hoped up to the last moment that they would be able to avert it by negotiations both the army and the navy were in a thoroughly unfit state to meet the invaders the lord high admiral lord howard of effingham was in despair and wrote to walsingham and burley begging for reinforcements 
and complaining bitterly of the condition of the navy. In one thing the English people were strong, and that was in their union. Mary of Scotland was dead, and the country was no longer distracted with divisions. All, Protestants and Catholics alike, were ready to gather round their queen and do their utmost to keep out the foreigner. In the Royal Navy, when all was done, there were only thirty-four ships with six thousand two hundred and seventy-nine men, but every nobleman and gentleman who was able provided and manned ships at his own expense, and the seaport towns sent out their vessels. In the end, some one hundred and ninety-seven ships were got together, though many of them were only small barks and pinnaces. In number they exceeded the Spanish fleet, but their tonnage only amounted to 30,144, whilst that of the Armada was 59,120. In all his preparations, Lord Howard was aided by the advice of the great English seamen Drake, Hawkins, and Frobisher. Drake was appointed vice-admiral and got together a fleet of sixty vessels at Plymouth, most of these were volunteer barks manned with the brave seamen of Devon and Cornwall. Meanwhile, Sir Walter Raleigh was chiefly engaged in making preparations to defend the coast and repel an invasion should the Spaniards be able to land. His advice seems to have been much listened to in the Queen's councils. He made large levies of men of the Stannaries, and did all he could to strengthen the defences of the Isle of Portland, of which he was governor. At Tilbury an army was gathered together under Leicester, and here Elizabeth roused at last to the sense of her danger, and full of courage to meet it, tried to impart her own confidence to her soldiers. Let tyrants fear, she said, I have always so behaved myself, that under God I have placed my chiefest strength and safeguard in the loyal hearts and good will of my subjects. I know I have but the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart of a king, and of a king of England too, and I think it foul scorn that Parma or Spain or any prince of Europe should dare to invade the borders of my realm, to which rather than any dishonour should grow by me, I myself will take up arms, I myself will be your general, judge and rewarder of every one of your virtues in the field. The invincible armada left Lisbon toward the end of May, but the weather was against it, and the huge ships were unwieldy and difficult to manage. The commander, the Duke of Medina Sidonia, was no great seaman, and his incompetence helped to delay the voyage. It was not till Friday, the 19th of July, that the armada sighted the Lizard Point. The Spaniards hoped to surprise the English fleet, but they had been seen by a Cornish pirate named Fleming. He put out all sail and sped to Plymouth to give warning. No time was lost in getting ready. The next morning Howard sailed out of Plymouth with sixty-seven vessels to await the coming of the Spaniards. Some of the fleet were off Dover, and vessels were scattered all along the south coast to keep watch. On the 20th of July, Howard saw the Spanish fleet pass by Plymouth. In obedience to the commands of Philip II, they were on their way to effect a meeting in the channel with the Prince of Parma. Howard let them pass, and then pursued them to attack and harass their rear. It would have been folly on the part of the English to risk a general engagement, but in chance skirmishes the swiftness with which their small light vessels could move gave them great advantages over the heavy galleons of the Spaniards. The little English ships 
hanging on the rear of the mighty armada seized their opportunity darted in amongst the unwieldy vessels attacked and damaged them and were gone before the spaniards had time to retaliate the spaniards when they perceived the nimbleness of the enemy arranged themselves in the form of a half-moon and slackened their sails so that they might keep together and that none of the ships might fall behind when severely battered by the english shot the spanish ships gathered so close together for safety that one of the biggest galleons had her foremast damaged and was left behind this great ship with four hundred and fifty men on board fell into the hands of drake who treated his prisoners right honourably he found also great treasure of gold in the ship the english fleet grew daily greater as it pursued the armada for ships and men came to join it out of all the harbours of england they came flocking as to a set field where immortal fame and glory was to be attained and faithful service to be performed unto their prince and country sir walter raleigh joined the fleet on the twenty third july he had probably been delayed on land by his preparations little is known of the part he played when with the fleet but we cannot doubt that where all were brave he was amongst the bravest some excited with the first successes of the english advised howard to grapple with the enemy's ships and board them referring to this in his history of the world raleigh says charles lord howard admiral of england would have been lost in the year fifteen eighty eight if he had not been better advised than a great many malignant fools were that found fault with his behaviour the spaniards had an army aboard them and he had none they had more ships than he had and of higher building and charging so that had he entangled himself with those great and powerful vessels he had greatly endangered this kingdom of england for twenty men upon the defence are equal to a hundred that board and enter whereas then contrariwise the spaniards had an hundred for twenty of ours to defend themselves withal but our admiral knew his advantage and held it which had he not done he had not been worthy to have held his head on the twenty fourth july a council of the commanders was held and the english fleet was divided into four squadrons under lord howard sir francis drake captain hawkins and captain frobisher on the twenty fifth there was severe skirmishing off the isle of wight in which frobisher and hawkins behaved themselves so valiantly and withal so prudently that on the following day the lord admiral rewarded them with the order of knighthood as the two fleets passed through the straits of calais crowds of frenchmen valumps and flemings gathered on the coast of france to see the wonderful sight never before in the history of the world had such an array of ships been seen the spanish fleet anchored off calais for the duke of medina sidonia had received messengers telling him that alexander of parma would be ready in a dozen hours or so to embark from dunkirk and join him meanwhile the english fleet had been joined by twenty ships which had been keeping guard over the mouth of the thames howard now saw that he could no longer avoid an engagement if he was to strike a decisive blow at the spaniards he must do it before they were joined by parma on the twenty eighth of july therefore he took eight of his worst and basest ships and filled them with gunpowder pitch brimstone and other combustibles and setting them on fire sent them at two o'clock in the morning the wind and the tide being favourable into the midst of the spanish fleet 
the spaniards were roused from their sleep in the dead of the night by these terrible burning apparitions and were thrown into such perplexity and horror that cutting their cables and hoisting their sails they betook themselves very confusedly into the main sea in the confusion the ships ran against one another and some were damaged by collision others were burnt by the fire-ships and the remainder were driven northwards along the flemish coast by the wind and the tide the english pursued them and on july twenty ninth there was a fierce battle fought off gravelines the attack was led by drake the admiral not having yet come up again the english took advantage of their nimble steerage and came oftentimes very near upon the spaniards and charged them so sore that now and then they were but a pike's length asunder and so continually giving them one broadside after another they discharged all their shot both great and small upon them until such time as powder and bullets failed them the fighting lasted six hours and terrible mischief was done to the spaniards the admiral howard joined the battle before it was over not a ship in the spanish fleet escaped damage their force is wonderful great and strong wrote howard but we pluck their feathers by little and little notwithstanding that our powder and shot was well near all spent we set out on a brag countenance and gave them chase the wind came to the help of the english and the spaniards fled northwards with full sail there was never anything pleased me better wrote drake than seeing the enemy flying with a southerly wind northwards for four days the english pursued but on friday the second of august they had to halt as powder and provisions were failing them they left the winds and the waves to finish the work of destruction which they had begun on the fourth of august the english fleet arrived at harwich there it provided itself with powder and provisions and sailed out again to be ready to meet the spanish fleet should it return but when the english heard that the spaniards had determined to sail round the north of scotland and ireland and so return home they thought it best to leave them unto those boisterous and uncouth northern seas and not there to hunt after them a terrible storm which arose on the fourth of august brought fearful sufferings to the spanish ships they were driven helplessly before the wind some were wrecked on the coasts of norway others were dashed to pieces on the scottish shores others only escaped to perish on the irish coasts in october the miserable remnant of the invincible armada reached spain of that proud array of one hundred and thirty-two ships with thirty thousand men only fifty-three ships with ten thousand men returned england had been delivered from terrible peril it would be long before philip the second could have another fleet on the seas and meanwhile england had shown what stuff her mariners were made of and made it clear that he would not find the task of crushing her an easy one the defeat of the armada showed the world that the power of spain was declining and that england was again able to fill an important position in the affairs of europe End of section eight